White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 741. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. From the Palatial White Rocket Studios, somewhere on the Orion Nebula, it's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast, Andy. How are you? I can't even get the introduction out tonight. How are you tonight, Andy? I'm doing good, Van. How are you doing? I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm Van Allen Plexico. I am your host, and we've got a big one to talk about tonight, and it's not exactly a feel-good story of the year. We, we're kind of going to some dark places tonight, are we not, Andy? We definitely are. It it, it it doesn't. I mean, it it starts pretty much exactly how it ends, and it it, it wasn't it wasn't a, a happy trip at all. I'm really curious to see what you and I think about this one, and and how much we agree or disagree about it. I think it's going to be very interesting to find out. But before we get into that, yes, this is the White Rocket. I'll say it again a little clearer this time. I was laughing, and I picked a bad time to start. This is the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast uh, with Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. And uh, we are tonight covering episode 418, Intersections in Real Time. And we're getting really close to the end of season four, and all kinds of crazy stuff's going to happen on the on the show that we're reviewing. And then we got some stuff going on outside of that that's going to happen when we get to the end of season four. So this is all very exciting. Yep. But before we get into all that, two things. One, I want to tell you folks, just to remind you, if you currently support the show via Patreon.com, we really appreciate you, and we couldn't do the show without you. If you'd like to join in the fun, join the family, put in the comments and whatnot, and be thanked every episode personally, then go to www.b5review.com, www.b5review.com, and sign up to be a patron. We have various levels of support available, and man, it sure helps us to keep the lights on in the old station and keep down below, down below, and uh, keep the Star Furies flying. Right, and it, it should be noted that it's it's called Patreon for a reason. It's not like you're buying anything or anything like that. You're actually being a patron of the arts. I mean, Vane and mm-hmm. I do this not to make a, a, a ton of money or any money for that matter. Right. We do it because we, we like talking about, you know, the arts and stuff that we love, like like Babylon 5. So you're, you're it, even if you don't get a whole lot of physical reward out of it, you're getting some sort of emotional reward out of it for just being a patron of the arts. So that's, that is very much appreciated. And, and those patrons that, that do support us, you should be proud of yourselves for, for doing that. Very well put. And also, you can leave comments in the Patreon page. And we have nice little running commentaries and questions and stuff for the show left there. So you get to do that as a patron. And we appreciate that, too. And I'll be getting to those later on in our episode. Um, we got a little bit of news to get to first this week. We have several things. The, the, the animated movie has been seen by people outside of uh, JMS's Circles and Warner Brothers now. It debuted at San Diego Comic-Con last week. Uh, yep. And apparently people were pretty happy with it. 
Yeah, I've heard nothing but spectacular uh, reviews about it. So that's that's positive. That's that's exciting. Usually, you know, people will give guarded reviews if it's not good and stuff like that. But people are not shy about about praising this at all. So that that's huh. definitely a good sign. And it was interesting too, from what I heard. Apparently, it started out they didn't have a very big crowd and they didn't know what was going on. And then people st- people kept coming in and coming in and told them that they had thought it had been canceled because of the strike, you know, that they weren't going right. to do it. And the strike has affected some things like that, but they were able to show the video, the, the movie, and talk about it. So it went forward. And there are concerns about other conventions, which I'll get to in just a second. Um, the other thing, though, is that we know, I think it's pretty much been officially announced now that uh, Bruce, ba- yeah, in fact, it was on their website, so it has been, that Bruce Boxleitner and Claudia Christian for sure will be at DragonCon. There may be some other Babylon 5 guests, but I know that their names have already appeared as confirmed that they will be there. I will not be moderating for them this year as far as I know. My, my itinerary is well full at this point. I will be, though, I will be on the panel talking about the Babylon 5 animated movie. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah. I think John Hudgens from the B5 Videos fame and I and a couple of other people are going to – I don't remember who they were exactly. I just got it this morning. Just this morning as we were recording, I got uh, my email from DragonCon saying, here's what you're going to be doing. And one of the things was the Babylon 5, the the animated movie discussion panel. So looking forward to that. Yeah, that's very cool. The concerns are that actors cannot talk about things that they've done professionally or are going to do. They can't promote anything. They're very limited in what they can talk about at conventions right now or anywhere for publicity. Right. And so, um, and so uh, like, for example, DragonCon sent us those. And now I'm not moderating for any actors this year, so thank goodness I don't have to worry about this. But a whole lot of people are, obviously. And so they have a list of, of like questions you can ask. I thought that was a pretty oh, good idea. Oh, wow. Yeah. So in other words, I think they don't want moderators to accidentally slip up and ask something that they'd have to stop and say, wait, no, we can't do this. That'd be embarrassing right. or whatever. So the moderators have been provided with standardized wow. questions that they are, they're cleared. Wow. And some of my friends that go to Dragon Con have contacted me and said, you know, I'm hoping this is going to be okay this year, but I'm worried that it's not going to be as much fun. And I'm like, you know, that's just one more thing we have to deal with as part of the strike. You know, I'm 100% behind the strikers, but right. but it's just one of those things. It's, we all have to, you know, we, we're going to have to sacrifice getting our shows when we want them, getting our movies when we want them, and, and having celebrities answer questions that we want to ask them. Right. Yeah, that reminds me of I forget what late night talk show it was, but they did a skit with um, Harrison Ford when he said, you know, the the talk show host wanted the audience to be able to ask him questions. He said, yeah, but you can't ask anything about Star Wars. So then they painted the audience, and all these people were sitting up asking, like, uh, "What's your favorite color?" <laughs> yeah, like exactly. That. That's that's exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I, you know, and I said, I mean. That's nothing against DragonCon. DragonCon's doing the best they can to be cooperative and to, you know, and to facilitate right. the to make everybody as happy as they can be. Right. It's just it's just one of those things. So, I hope it works out all right, but uh, we'll see. You know, the, and those conversations could be some of the the best because you get to see a whole different side yeah. of of the 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 personalities that, you know, you you normally wouldn't if you just concentrated on 
you know, this episode and this scene and mm -hmm. how did you work with that actor and stuff like that. If you, you know, get into the different stuff that doesn't touch on that, you can get a real insight on those, those people and their personalities. I think that's cool. You know, a lot of time fan questions are, they mean well, but they ask stuff that the actors don't know anyway. You know, right. actors are there to do a job. They're not the master. You know, you can't ask a JMS question of an actor, right? Because they didn't write it. Like, why did right. why did Sheridan do this? And Bruce would be like, "Cause JMS said I did." You know, I mean, what, that's the, that's the answer. You know, there's no, yeah. they don't have an in-universe answer unless they're super geeky. You know, right? So, you know, that's I mean, that's so. Yeah, you're right. That might very well expedite some interesting. Uh, and you know, I've never been a big. I, I well, you know, these days at, at conventions, I they, I kind of do my own thing. But even back in the day, I was never huge on the actor panels but i have seen some that were really really good so hopefully they'll be all right um all right do you have any news items before we get into the uh, episode um you know what i don't i i think you covered everything I think there, there, there hasn't been a whole lot going on as far as you know the the um reboot or anything like yeah. that because of the the strikes and everything so there's really not a whole lot of news out there man i'll say i'll tell you what i was i was never well I want to say skeptical. There were people that were just like, it's never going to happen, right, from the jump. And I right. never agree with them. I always thought it had a good chance to happen. But if it does still happen, think of all the obstacles it will have overcome, right? The change in <laughs> no leadership kidding. and ownership at right. Warner, the re relaunching of the entire network, basically, and then the strike. Yep. My gosh. Yeah. So it's we'll yeah, see. it's 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 crazy. It, it, I mean, it, at this point in time, if it does happen, it will be like the little show that could, you know, it, mm -hmm. would, it would a miracle. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, so we made it through the face of the enemy, which was a harrowing enough journey. But now we get to four eighteen. I think it's four eighteen. Yeah, intersections yep. in real time. And my first question, by the way, which I'm going to, we won't get, we're going to leave this hanging for now because the information's coming. I've never understood what that title meant. It's always been very I, confusing to me because. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's a reference to something in literature or what, but I mean, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I have no well, idea what it means. There's something coming up. But to me, I think of this as comes the other Inquisitor. Yeah. Yeah. Although I like the first Inquisitor a lot more than this one. <laughs> Right. He had style and class, as they say. Yes. This, this one was boring. But and anyway. That makes, I, that makes one of my categories, by the way. Oh, okay. Well, I'm again, I my understanding is that you have a certain view of this episode, which I will not I will not state. I'll let you reveal it in the course of time. I'm curious how close it matches up to mine. So we'll find out. We'll right. find out. I'm, I'm a, I've been looking forward to this since we started this podcast. <laughs> so That's this, great. This should be fun. Oh, boy. Um, it may be war without end in reverse. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I fully embrace the fact that I am weird in how much I love this episode. I okay. totally get that. So right. I have I have no expectations that 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 you will adore it as much as I do. All right. Well, then we'll get along fine. Here we <laughs> here we go. Production number four eighteen originally aired June sixteenth, nineteen ninety seven. Man, ninety seven was a big year for Battle and Five. Uh, written, of course, by JMS. Directed by John Lafia. Have we seen his name before? I don't. Maybe we have. I don't remember when or how often, but I know we've said that name before. Okay. Okay. I couldn't. It's been a little while, anyway. All right, so here's the part everybody anxiously awaits every week is, can Andy guess the P5 rating? 
I love this so much. Wow. This is one of my favorite See, parts. I, I, this one's going to be really hard for it me is. because I, I have I, I know what I what I normally would rate it, and then I would add to that, but I I can't do that yep. this time because. I, right. I, I'm screwing the curve with this one. Well, let's let's I'm reset. Say, hold on, hold on. Let's reset for the right. audience that don't know. So here's All what right. happens. Andy and I use a five point scale when we rate them at the end because we didn't at the, we didn't, we weren't doing this at the beginning of the show. I wish we'd done ten, but here we are. Um, right. Whereas Babylon Five Lurker's Guide used a f- scale of zero to ten. Even they call it the P five rating. Mm-hmm. Uh, it uses a scale of zero to ten. And so Andy usually guesses to try to guess. I, we always get Andy to guess what he thinks the P5 rating will be, which is an aggregate, an average of all the fans that voted back when the show first came on the air. Right. And so, it goes out to the, the hunters, right? Yes. It goes two decimal two, places. Two decimal yeah. places. And so I always, am, I always enjoy this because Andy, for the longest time, was under-guessing, right? Because the way it strikes us in 2023, it underwhelms usually a little bit compared to how it struck people in 1997. But you started compensating by adding some fractions onto your guess, right? right? Just automatically. But now we've run into a dilemma where it's one Andy... Andy strongly suspects he likes more than the people that voted back in 1997 rather than less. So this is going to be very... Interesting. Let's hear it. All right. I'm going to say 8.9. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So you say 8.9, meaning yes. that you would have made it higher than 8.9, but you deducted yes. some from it. Is that right? That's correct. The P5 rating of this episode is 8.08. So that's wow. still a four on our five-point scale, but it's considerably lower than these episodes have been lately. Yeah. Why definitely. do you suppose that is? Because this episode was so different from any other Babylon 5 episode. It's I true. mean, it only had two characters. It was basically one long scene. You know, it, it, didn't, it didn't deviate from that one little room. So, I mean, it, it didn't have a B-plot. Um, it didn't even, this is the only episode that didn't even show the station. You're right. They yeah. never even showed the station. They didn't, mm-hmm. I mean, the only, the only other regular cast member other than, than, uh, Sheridan was a, a brief cameo by Delenn. We see, yeah. Okay. We see, we see Sheridan. Yeah. The appearance of Delenn. Yeah. Two interrogators. Right. A, a Drazi and two guards. And the Drazi, well, you, I'm sure you'll get into who played the Drazi. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But yeah, the the yeah, but the uh, the only other regular cast member, you know, that that yeah, is gets the 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 opening credits was was Delenn, and she didn't even say anything. She was only there briefly for, and it was only like you said, only an apparition. So. Well, Sheridan barely said anything. <laughs> right. So it no. it was completely different. Didn't advance the plot at all. In fact, it, the Mm-mm. episode ended exactly where it started. Yeah. Didn't advance the plot at all. There was no cool sci-fi stuff to it. I mean, there's no space battles. I mean, there was mm-hmm. barely an alien in it. Um, so I, I can see why this didn't necessarily resonate with the Babylon Five fan base, especially after everything that we've gotten this season. It was it was a very um, claustrophobic episode. Yeah, yeah. And the so hero I, I, was not very heroic looking either. He was very rough looking. Right, but he was absolutely heroic, even though he wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it, and it wasn't it wasn't a 
it didn't have a happy ending. You know, it didn't have no. a, a, even a hopeful ending. I mean, it was it was it was pretty grim the the whole way through. And and just when you thought that it was going to get better, it didn't. <laughs> we'll, so, we will get into that in just a second. So I want to know yeah. this. We have I don't usually ask you this, but I'm for this one I'm very curious. Your wife has watched along some of the way. Did she watch this one? She watched some of it. She did okay. not watch all of it. Okay. Did yeah, she express she, any thoughts about it or any reaction other than just getting up and doing uh, dishes or something? Yeah, I think. Oh, I was watching. We, we usually watch it when when she's cooking dinner because the island that she cooks on faces the TV, so she can watch it while she's cooking and stuff like that. But she kind of lost interest because it was not because she was bored, but because it was kind of upsetting her. Yeah, you know the 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 torture, and it wasn't even the physical torture; it was just the the emotional torture that the, the guy was doing it was it was rough i got so she didn't watch it all yeah okay there you go all right i'm gonna i'm gonna do the summary unless you're just dying to because it'll take no, two please, seconds sheridan faces an inquisitor from earth dome right that's it <laughs> that's the that's the summary there's nothing and else. that's you're right that that's an in-depth summary too i mean that yeah. it doesn't get any deeper than that there's no b plot is, right. there's no c plot there's only right. you and i okay um Notable guest stars, interestingly enough, there were multiple. Yeah. Wayne Alexander, the great, great, great Wayne Alexander as the Drazi. So isn't it interesting that we had an Inquisitor episode back in Season 2 that we love so much with Wayne Alexander as Jack the Ripper, the Inquisitor, and yeah. he's in the other interrogation episode, but this time he's not the interrogator, he's not the Inquisitor, he's a Drazi. And I actually kind of thought it would be... Kim Strauss that would be the uh, right because he usually plays the Drazi but um, I guess Wayne I mean he's such a great actor I guess he added some more than one note the the Kim Strauss Drazi is very one note <laughs> very funny right. but very one right. note right this not was a lot of depth to that character no yeah the Kim Strauss Drazi is the one that's like Commander Ivanova comes into our room we kill her. Have a big party. Yay. That's the Kim Strauss-Drazi, right? This right. is this is the, you know, oh, I can't take it anymore, Drazi. So he's a little bit different. Okay. Uh, Ray Burke as William, the main interrogator. When did they call him William? I guess he introduced himself at the beginning or something. He did at the very beginning, yeah. Okay. That was Ray Burke. Bruce Gray was interrogator, which is the second one, the one at the end in the other room. Right. And then Peter Brown was the voice of the minister giving the sort of last rites or whatever there. Right, yeah. Okay. Um, who sounded like he was like very bored while he was reading it. I think intentionally. I don't think it was <laughs> right, a bad job. Absolutely. So, All right, you got any random factoids or notes about intersections? I have two of them. You mentioned uh, Ray Burke. Was that his name that played mm -hmm. William? Mm -hmm. He was the second choice for that character. The guy that they originally cast, and I uh, try as oh. I might, I could not find out who that was. But the guy that they had originally cast, like two days before they were set to shoot, um, was called. He was in a movie for Disney and was called back for reshoots. Oh, and because that contract was exi an existing contract already and predated the Babylon Five contract, he had to honor that one. So he couldn't do it. He had to go back and do reshoots for this movie. I have no idea what movie it was or who the actor was, but I'm dying to find out. So if anybody out yeah. there knows, please let us know. I um, can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, somebody will figure it out and let us know, though, in the comments and the Patreon. Right. Right. I hope so. So the, Ray Burke was actually um, second 
you know, in line for this, but he just barely missed out. But he went on to do Caroline in the City, and that that appearance on Caroline in the City led to several episodes with them. But uh, when they called him up, he said, "Yeah, but I have to shoot it around my Caroline in the City schedule because I'm shooting a, a few episodes, you know, over the next couple of weeks." So they brought him in, you know, after hours and stuff like that, and he did all the scenes and. And uh, the director and JMS just were in love with him. They thought he did spectacular, and it was like a happy circumstance that he ended up becoming the uh, the, the interrogator. I feel the same way about him that I do about this entire episode, and that's fair enough because he kind of was this entire episode. Right, right, yeah. And it, it's kind of kind of a love-hate relationship that I have with both that character, the way he performs it, that character, and then the whole episode. All right. Hmm. We're, we're going to come get, to blows before the end of this no, episode. Oh, no. Sure we're going to get into it. We're going to work through it. We're going to resolve it and kind of hash it out. And I'm looking forward to it. All right. Here's a few things I've got. Remember, this was going to be the cliffhanger ending of the entire season. And yes. here's the irony. It still ended up being the cliffhanger for like a long time because, because for whatever reason, P10 didn't end broadcasting when the season ended. They right. just... They just did this weird stuff where they'd save some of the last few episodes for right before they'd start the new episode. So instead of getting the cliffhanger at the end of the season, you'd get several episodes earlier a cliffhanger almost by accident. But in this case, right. it worked out. Right. Because <laughs> this one came out, what did we say, in June or something? Uh, yeah, this one yes. came out in June. The next one comes out in October. So even though this was not the cliffhanger, you still go four months Right. Roughly four months before you get the resolution of it. Man, I remember I was pulling my hair out. I'm yeah. dying. And, you know, it's funny you mention that because the when the episode was originally written and shot, mm -hmm. there were eight minutes of another character in the episode. Yes. Are you, are you aware of that? Or is this something you're going to touch on? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So there, there were eight minutes of scenes involving Garibaldi because JMS originally, when writing the episode, said he, he had always wanted to do just a two-character episode, just a two-character-in-one-room episode. But he, he chickened out at the last moment and added several scenes with Garibaldi trying to get in contact with the Mars Resistance just so you could have more actual Babylon 5 stuff in there. Right. And the episode ended up running exactly eight minutes over. And the other, the next episode, which they filmed almost at the same time because all the other cast members were, were filming that one, mm -hmm. was eight minutes under. Yep. So they just moved the, the Garibaldi scenes to the next episode. And JMS said they blended in perfectly with that. And he was happier with this episode because he finally got his two his uh, two characters in one room together yep. episode. So That's so good. Was, yeah. It's crazy That's how that really worked cool. out, isn't it? Yeah. It was almost like, like it was meant to happen. Yeah, I, I'm assuming that this one ran over because it has so little other than dialogue that he probably it was harder to judge how much time it would take. And right. like if Ray Burke, for example, if his cadence and delivery is a little slower maybe than JMS expected when he wrote it, over the right. course of an hour that becomes minutes, you know. Right. So that that's interesting. That really is. All right. Um <clears throat> I said, yeah, I agree. This is probably the only episode where you only see John and Delenn, nobody else really. And <clears throat> you really don't see Delenn, honestly. She's more right. of a figment. Yep. Which is kind of the opposite of, was it, which was the one that we decided had everybody in it? Uh, the summoning oh, or yeah. falling toward apotheosis? It's one of those two. 
Either the summoning yeah. or falling toward Pathios had everybody in it. Anyway. Yeah. It's the this only one, one didn't even have the station in it. I mean, that's no, that's how. crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> um, I wrestle with my feeling of Bruce's performance here, but I blame JMS because I think Bruce's performance gets better. I don't love it at the beginning of the episode. He's just kind of sullen and glowering, you know. But by the end of the episode, I, I like what Bruce is doing. Messed up. Um, but I think it's partly because JMS just doesn't have him saying hardly anything. And right. so he's he and the director are left to just kind of interpret what he should be doing. Right. And I think the further along the episode goes, the better job they do. But at the beginning, I just am very uncomfortable with how Bruce plays... In other words, what he's having, what little he has to say, to me, should be compensated for by physical acting. And I don't feel like he does enough physical acting in the first 10 minutes of this episode. But after that, he does. So again, I blame JMS for just not giving him much to work with. But I just, I don't know. And it may have been one of those things where they, and, and you know, you may totally disagree. Everybody else may disagree. That's fine. But for me, it may just have been one of those things where they just didn't have enough time to kind of work out exactly all the fine nuances of two guys in this room. You know, it's not like they're quickly choreographing a fight scene. This is way right. more sophisticated. So right. I don't know. That's just an observation. Because um, I kept wanting Sheridan, this is my next point, to tell the guy his side of it. And I know, I do understand the guy doesn't care. If Sheridan had said, look, I'm trying to save Earth from this horrible dictator. And by the way, I just defeated these horrible giant space monster spider alien shadow dudes that would have conquered everybody. You're welcome. You're welcome. Right? If he had done that, the guy would have been like, I don't know what you're talking about, and I don't care. You know, in other words, this interrogator was very much like the Tommy Lee Jones character in The Fugitive, where, where Harrison Ford says, I didn't kill my wife. And he says, I don't care. I'm not, right. I'm not the judge, right? This isn't the trial. I'm just here to bring you in. That's not, you know, whether you did it or not is, is beyond me. If Sheridan said, look, Clark's a son of a boo, you know, and I stopped the shadows and everything, and you should be thanking me and giving me a bouquet of flowers instead of all this, the guy would have been like, I don't care. Not my but, job. But that that goes against what the the whole episode was about. It was about Sheridan not playing the the game with him and not giving him anything. He well, just I mean, kept saying no. He's not giving him anything he wants, but that wouldn't have been something he wanted. That would have been the actual truth. Oh my gosh. That opens that up a whole other can of worms here too, Andy, which is the Inquisitor kept saying the, the interrogator kept I don't want to sully the good name of the Inquisitor. The interrogator kept saying, I'm only going to tell you the complete unvarnished truth. You're only going to get the truth from me. I don't feel like that was true. Oh, that was absolutely not true. He lied to him all the time. But you knew that the, the, the interrogator was lying when he said that. Because he said the entire time, truth is, is malleable and truth is what, what you perceive it and all this stuff. So when he says, I'm telling you the truth, you know that he's probably lying. Because to him, the truth is completely fluid and... and basically non-existent i just um i had big problems with the interrogator's entire approach i think i've got more notes about this later so let's get through the technical stuff and then we'll get into right. it but i just i have major issues with everything done to shared in this episode all right um 
I'm, I'm going to just turn my computer off now and you can continue the show without me. <laughs> no, no, no. That's the why we're here is to figure this out. I'm relying on you to set me straight. Um, Where is my cat when I need him? <laughs> <laughs> the step on the button, yeah. Um, let's see. Probably their own Mars. Okay, I buy that. Clark believes Sheridan's credibility as a war hero is a threat to the credibility of the administration. He wants Sheridan to recant in public to restore yep. the public's belief you can't beat the system. Um, the <clears throat> Narn pain givers were previously shown in the Parliament of Dreams, of course. That was one of our favorite yep. little sequences with the Narn in it. Excuse um, me. You will know pain, you will know fear, and you will die. Have a nice trip. Right. <laughs> it remains one of the greatest moments on the show. Yes. Uh, let's see. Uh, one off. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't like any of these points. Room 17 is probably a reference to George Orwell's 1984, in which Winston Smith, the protagonist, hears the people taken to room 101, but has no idea what goes on there. Right. Interesting. Um... Yeah, here you go. The interrogator insisted that he was telling Sheridan the truth, but he also insisted the truth is fluid. That means little, if anything, the interrogator told Sheridan could be taken at face value. Well, amen, exactly. Right. Um, the, uh, the interrogator said he thought his speech about poison was a metaphor for something, but he couldn't figure out what. Um, in addition to the historical nod, the speech can be interpreted as a metaphor for what he was trying to do to Sheridan. First, he convinced Sheridan to agree to little lies the time of day. After a steady diet of small untruths, the interrogator hoped Sheridan would become more and more receptive to bigger and bigger lies until he was ready to swallow anything suggested to him. Right. That's exactly right. Okay. Unanswered questions. What exactly does the title mean? Well, JMS is going to answer that for us in just a moment. Oh, good. How, how much time actually passed during this episode? I have absolutely no idea. It could be hours, it could be days, it could be weeks. Right. Well, because of the fact that the interrogator kept changing that story and even saying it's light outside, it's dark outside, but I'm manipulating that too, he could have just been coming in right. and out every five minutes and right. shared and, you know. And you don't even know that the interrogator that started the episode was the first interrogator that Sheridan had dealt with because That's of the way the episode ended. Possible, yes possible yeah although sheridan seemed kind of puzzled at first but that's fair that's fair enough um we do know he was there at least several hours because he had time to throw up and pass out on the floor and then be cleaned up and right. set back up that's another thing the whole sandwich thing was just stupid to me i didn't like that at all what is the deal with that <laughs> um let's see how much time is sheridan's father really being held or is that a lie we don't know uh, didn't at least not yet. garibaldi say that they had picked him up a, a, a few episodes ago didn't he tell edgar that they picked him up um, no, he, he tells Edgars just... that that's how you get to John is by telling oh, him his, okay. dad, his dad is threatened, but we don't know if he is or isn't. Gotcha. And I think we're going to find out the answer to that in Rising Star, and I think I know, but it would be a spoiler even though I'm guessing, so I'm just going to leave it alone right. for now. But okay. I think that's where we find out the answer, and that's one of my favorite episodes, by the way, is Rising Star. Um, um, if the, if the interrogator only told the truth, then what about when he said the sandwich wasn't poisoned? He wasn't telling the truth. I, know, I just, okay. It's confusing. <laughs> uh, here's my unanswered question. What exactly was the point of all this? The interrogator didn't come close to breaking Sheridan or forcing him to do anything. It seemed more designed to bore him to death with repetition and confuse him. 
that's what I was wrestling with is why is he, what is he doing? What is he trying to do? How is this helping with it? Because all it seemed to really do was just make Sheridan more resolved in his determination rather than less. I mean... And I, that was the point of the episode was to show Sheridan's strength of character because these are, are tried and true um, torture techniques. I mean, this this isn't something that that uh, JMS yeah. just made up while he was writing oh, it. I mean, this sure. this is so. I mean, th- these are, are techniques that are have been effective and are probably still being used and are effective to to this day. So, yeah. it, it, I think it was just to, to give Sheridan that that moment to show that he is more than just a, a fist throwing type of guy. You know, that can yeah. charge into battle when he's got a whole fleet of white stars behind him. He can, you know, on the emotional level, he's a strong character as well. Yeah, and I'm glad that they did address that because you want your main guy that's going to be the the hero, hopefully. He already has been once. You want to see that he's not, like you said, he's not just the toughest cowboy. He's also got stuff going on inside his head that's right. in his heart. This, the whole thing reminded me, now, in the in the comments down here, there are several references to other shows like The Prisoner. We'll get to that. JMS addresses that. But it reminded me of, of the Noble House miniseries and the novel by James Clavell. Um, there are, you know, the no- Noble House is that huge novel and miniseries by James Clavell with Pierce Brosnan in the, in the main role. Don't remember that one. It's, it's basically a very late sequel to Shogun. Same ah. universe. In gotcha. Hong Kong in the 1980s, and the novel is 1960. But anyway, in the novel and the TV show, there's a there's a there's a member of the Hong Kong basically British police force who it they find they totally accidentally find evidence that he is a, a Chinese communist agent. Oh wow! And so like the next day, he and his partner are sitting there drinking coffee in the police station, and all of a sudden he passes out, and the partner moves the coffee away and drags him into this little red room. And for like the next three days, they're doing this loud noise, bright lights, darkness, drugs. It's day, it's night, it's been a week, it's been a month, you know. Right. And the guy is just so disoriented, and it reminded me of that. But that seemed way more effective than than this. This, I, I don't know. I, I always come back to what the Russians would do, like in Afghanistan, when they wanted to know something. They, they don't go off for all of this. The Russians would just take a guy set him down on the floor on a concrete floor, pull his pants down, raise a boot up and say, talk. <laughs> and I'd be like, what would you like me to say? Just give right. me a pencil and well, paper and I'll write it. I'll write you a novel. And, and the interrogator addressed that. He wasn't trying to get him to talk or he wasn't trying to get information out of him right. or even get him to say something specifically. He right. wanted Sheridan to be broken so he believed what he was saying was the truth. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay. So he was more trying to brainwash and convert him than he was to, to torture any information or reaction out of him. Yeah. I think part of it then in that case is that because it is real time, we just don't see enough time go by right. to get a sense that it could have possibly worked. In other words, I never got a sense that this was ever going to work because it was not even... You know, not even an hour, not counting the night that he was asleep after he threw up. Well, and I don't think we got every inter- we saw every interaction that they had because there was one point in time when the when he came in and said good morning or whatever. It seemed like either 
several days had passed or we had missed some interactions in there. I, I think that was meant to, to, to be just the, the highlights of, of their interaction. Not all of them. We didn't see all of them, I don't, I don't think. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not convinced, but I hear you. Um, let me see what else we got in terms of unanswered questions. What was the deal with the Drazi at the end? He goes from being like on Sheridan's side, but basically brainwashed into blaming Sheridan, you know, blaming alien. And, you know, I, well, we were, we were totally manipulating Sheridan. Oh yeah. Big, big Drazi conspiracy to take over earth, control Sheridan. Yes. Control the one human that does not have any right to come home to earth. That's how we take over earth. Yes. Um, that was the, the, but, but then at the end, he's grinning, lurking in the background, putting on gloves, wearing a hood. What was that all about? What was that? He I was, thought it was like a, was, I thought it was going to be a psychor member, a psychop or something. No, he was working with them the whole time. He was never, yeah. he was, he was not that, that he was brainwashed or anything like that. He was just, he was part of the earth force interrogation team. But what is he lurking there with a hood on? Putting on gloves sh- and stuff, or taking for, off. For a, it was for the the uh, um, scare tactic to you know to, for uh, Sheridan to think he was like an executioner type of deal, and then it was for the the shock reaction he got from um, Sheridan when he took the mask off. I mean, it was a total mind job. They were doing it just to disorient and mess with Sheridan even more. Okay, that was just strange. And then lastly, I the question I had was. Now JMS answers this to a certain degree below, so there's going to get we're going to get some answers in a second. I'm just not sure I sure I like them. But my question was, why didn't the Psychor have anything to do with this? And we've addressed it a little bit. You've made some points about how they want him to sincerely change and all that. Right. But why not just do to him what they did to Garibaldi? They didn't convert Garibaldi. They just kind of leaned on him in certain directions and made him more sympathetic. And the interrogator said at one point in time that they could have done that, but any sort of scan. Another by telepath. A, a, um, by, a, by a telepath would have shown that he had been manipulated. Well, then you, you trot Sheridan out for five minutes, have him make a speech about how great Clark is, and then you take him backstage and put a bullet in his head. You don't have to worry about it. Right. Well, have him accidentally trip and fall down a flight of stairs onto a butcher knife 17 times. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Uh, all right. JMS speaks. Wait, wait we'll I, I have a question. Oh, yes, yes. So when, the Dra- when they first brought the Drazi in, and he had obviously been worked over or given the appearance to have been worked over, he yeah. had cuts on his faces, and he had white stuff trickling from the cuts on his face. Do oh. Drazi have white blood? I didn't notice that, but that's it may be. May very well be. Yeah, or did he just like spill his milk when he was eating breakfast? <laughs> in the morning? I don't know. Ah, good question. It is an unanswered question, so we don't know. All I'm right. surprised we didn't see a whole lot of blood during the uh, Geometry of Shadows. Right. <laughs> you know, the purple green. Where was, yeah. where was all the blood? So, All right, JMS speaks. Why was it called Intersections in Real Time? Each act took place in real time with no time jumps. Dur- oh. I guess during the act, I guess. The jumps were in between right. acts. The gotcha. conversation happened as it happened. Since you had act breaks in between them, those became intersections in real time. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, JMS said, I don't usually comment on this, but if I had known with absolute certainty there would be a season five, then season four would have ended with intersections in real time. So you only pull four episodes forward, really. You'll understand when you see it. There you go. And again, that's kind of how it worked out anyway because of the way that they broadcast them. Right. 
Uh, let's see. Um, oh, this is funny. Uh, he says, according to John Copeland, the, this one episode coming up, this one, was the single most subversive thing we've ever done on the show. It's a mean episode, and we completely unabashedly under and com- and completely unabashedly underhanded in its way of illuminating certain things. While oddly enough, ending in a positive fashion, I don't know how that ended in a positive fashion. I can see that. Despite George Johnson's comment at playback during the audio mix, quote, okay, what sadistic MFR wrote this thing? (laughs) Well, I think we know what sadistic wrote this thing. Right, right. Um, Somebody said to him, you understand the concepts of breaking down a human psyche? And JMS shrugs and says, well, sure, I work for Warner Brothers. Hey! Hey! That's Um, funny. And 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 they said Warner Brothers weird wacky scheduling actually is appropriate this time. And JMS says, "Yep, it is that. At least I, at last I have a proper cliffhanger and a proper wait afterward." Um, was Bruce Boxleitner's beard in this episode for real? Yes, Bruce had some time between episodes and began to grow the beard for real, and we darkened it down for later acts. Um, and it's funny that in the next episode he still has. Is this, well, is, I'm getting ahead of I'm getting ahead yeah. of myself. Sorry. Somewhere in there, it gets a beard going. Right. Uh, was the Drazi really there? He was played by the same actor who played Jack. JMS says yes. The Drazi was really there. He has to be, or the episode loses some of its teeth. And yeah, we kind of like the symmetry of Wayne being in this episode. So Wayne Alexander was brought back to play the Drazi. The Drazi was working with the Earth Alliance the whole time, rendering Sheridan's quote-unquote victory impotent. There you go. What was the message of this episode? JMS says the message is just that, just that, that we all have to choose to resist from time to time and that one individual can fight the system and we are all that individual at one time or another. Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of give and take in this episode. At times, maybe the interrogator is near the truth or a form of it, but always distorting it, using it for his benefit. Slippery slopes indeed. There's a lot of truth to your notion of truth, somebody says to him. It raises points I'd rather not think about. Where do these notions of yours originate? JMS says, usually at three in the morning when I can't sleep. <laughs> ah, why doesn't Clark just have Bester reprogram Sheridan? Well, you covered this one because they don't want him reprogrammed. As William says, another teep could see that he'd been altered. They want him sincerely broken, not just rewired. Uh, when we shot this episode, we did it in full act chunks. The actors would come in in the morning, rehearse it as they would a play, and then we'd shoot it at the, w- the way we'd shoot a play straight through. You could tell that, I thought. Yeah. Um, did Sheridan say very little to avoid giving the interrogator anything to use against him? JMS says, that's one reason among many that I kept Sheridan silent for the most part. A, because the less he says, the better overall from his position. And B, the audience would want to respond for him. Oh, my goodness, yes, I wanted to respond for him because I was pulling my hair out. And I don't have a lot to work with here at this point, but I was pulling my hair out. Oh, man. Um, The interrogator looked like an ordinary person. JMS says exactly, the banal face of evil. You look at most of the guys who ran Treblinka or Bergen-Belsen, and they're largely ordinary-looking guys who could be accountants or repairmen or car salesmen. They're us, and this was designed to remind us of that. The evil, mustache-twirling villain is too easy and too far from the truth of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see. 
Um, I think that William was the most effective evil guy that JMS has written or has been portrayed on the show because of that exact thing right there. All the other bad guys, the evil guys, Morden and Bester and Cartasia, everybody that was on your list of who's the, the best bad yes. guy, they were all more the mustache-twirling drama bad guys. They had their their you know multi-dimensional aspects to them, but they were all bad guys. This William guy was just an average, like he said, just an average Joe, just a, a dude that Doing you could run into on the street. And, and that wasn't even... You know, he wasn't mean or nasty or, or, you know, giving soliloquies for the most part. I mean, he was just, you know, in there doing my job. I mean, the way he would just kind of look at his glasses and, you know, pat himself down if he forgot something. And mm-hmm. the way he opened up his briefcase. I mean, he was just yeah. just a dude. So I, I think he was the most effective, effectively written and, and acted bad guy. You know, it was always going to be that way because the shadows, as cool and exciting as that whole thing was, they were just too alien for real right. empathy on the part of the viewer. Whereas right. the, this, this is what we talked about ages ago on this show. Remember when we talked about, I think we talked about why did they do the Shadow War before they did the Earth War? And I think this is why. The yeah. Shadow War was bigger, but this is more personal and this has more emotional depths. If you do the Earth War first, now you're just left with big spider right. dudes get the hell out of our galaxy. Right. Yeah. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And and that made William all that much came come across as that much more evil because he was just one of us. It, it, he wasn't some sort of scary space alien. He was just a guy off the street, you know, that was doing the, these horrible, terrible things for horrible, terrible reasons. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, by the way, that reminded me. I hate to leave it here in the middle of things, but we're all, we're pretty much about to start our categories. So I'll go ahead and say it now because you reminded me. I almost forgot. Yeah, I did forget. I did a poll on Twitter a couple of weeks ago of who was the most effective, the best bad guy on this show. And I mean, you know, I could think of a dozen, but I I narrowed it down to four that you can put on Twitter. Right. And so I asked, who was the best bad guy? Like the most effective, the scariest, the worst, whatever, however you want to say it. My four options I put up there were President Clark, Mr. Morden, Bester, and then, like, was the fourth one, like, other leave a comment or something like that, I think? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It, originally, it was uh, Malari, but then you switched it to... Yeah. Other. I said I could see Londo as being one of the top four villains on this show, depending on what episodes you're talking about, right? If you go, if you come into right. this show at the right time, it, he's the biggest villain. Right. Um, and did you see how it came out? I want to say, wasn't it uh, uh, Bester? Bester won in a landslide. Wasn't close. Yeah. Yeah, that's who I voted for. Bester won a landslide. Morden was second. Clark was third. Other goes right. fourth. And the other suggestions were pretty good. I mean, somebody said Lord Rifa, which I'm like, he was a good villain, but he just wasn't around enough to really qualify as a, you know, he was never like, he wasn't Sauron. He wasn't even Saruman. He was more like right. the chief orc or something. I didn't, you know, I never right. really took him that seriously. <laughs> he was worm tongue. Yeah, he was. You're right. That's exactly who he was. Um, I, I so, almost I almost put Negrath, but I really didn't want to skew your poll at all, so I, I left it uh, off there. He, he would have won in a runaway. Well, in a landslide. Everybody loves Negrath. All right. <laughs> well, anyway, so congratulations to Bester and to Walter Koenig for creating, well, for helping to create such an amazing villain. Um, okay, 
so let's get in the categories. This, to me, Andy, was probably the hardest episode ever Absolutely. to do categories. Because so it was just hard. one scene. Yeah, <laughs> what do you – I mean – I had, Where, I had to get real nitpicky and dial it way yes. down. Pull out a fine grained, yeah. Certain sentences. <laughs> oh my gosh! Absolutely right. All right, let's see what we got. What was your high point of this episode? The high point came towards the end when William asked him, "How how can you expect or how do you win against the inevitable truth?" And he and Sheridan looks at me and says, "Every time I say no." Yeah. That that to me just summed up his character. It summed up the entire episode, and it summed up his entire fight. You know, the the, the entire conflict he has with with you know um, everything. Yeah, he it it all comes down to him believing in who he is and believing what he is doing is right, and just standing up and saying no. Well, the problem is, then he turns right around after that and finds out it didn't matter. He has to start all over right. again. So oh. right, but but that just doubles down his resolve. It reminds me of that one. There's a very famous picture of uh, some Nazi rally in, in Germany early in the war when hundreds and thousands of people are all cheering Hitler by raising their arms in the, you know, the, the Nazi salute. And there's one guy with his arms folded. Oh, he didn't make it home. Let me see. I'm trying to think. There's my, the un, I got the unfathomable ascent up here. The, the, um, yeah. How Hitler came to power. Really interesting right. read. I just read that. And yeah. The, but, yeah, the, guy the one did, guy that's not the, doing the thing. Yeah. Right, the guy did survive. I forget. I forget what happened to him. I don't know if he went to, to prison or what. But he was just standing there with his arm folded, not doing anything because you just, even though it's it's the entire nation that's doing this, I'm just going to stand up for what I believe in and say no. It's Tank Man from China. Remember the guy yes. that stood in front of the tanks. Absolutely. Or guess, in the that that whole I I could do a whole yeah. podcast episode talking about that whole situation and that particular guy and that that whole weekend and all that stuff so let's let's not go down there but to keep it geeky it reminded me of the the guy in in avengers remember when loki oh yes having it yeah step to loki so right yeah yeah I, I was gonna say if it had been stalin he wouldn't have made it out of the room much less right the prison or anything so yeah right um yeah i had the same same thing and i said that says a lot about this episode that even it ends up turning back against him before it's over. So that sums that episode up really well. What was right. your low... Well, this is... <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Right. What was your low point of this otherwise uplifting joy fest of an episode, Andy? I had um, Sheridan's reaction when the, the Drazi, quote-unquote, was executed. Oh, yeah. That, that just really gutted Sheridan. He was very upset about that. So that was that was kind of a low point. Even though it... It was later revealed that, of course, he didn't die, but Sheridan didn't know that at the time. Well, honestly, that's where I went. My low point was when we see the Drazi is still alive and smiling, and you just yeah. know that it's just taken a. When you think you've gotten to the basement, it then drills a hole in the ground and keeps going. Right. You know, You're like oh right. no, this is just getting worse. So yeah. Yep. All right. Well, here's a, this is a challenge. Most Babylon Five scene. The, the only thing I could come up with is when Sheridan is at his lowest and he's being railed by William and he looks over William's shoulder and sees Delenn standing there and he gets yeah. inspiration from Delenn to keep going, to keep saying no. I thought that was that was says a lot about their relationship and, and where Sheridan was in his mindset and all that stuff. I thought that was cool. I think yours is probably better. I said when the Drazi in the hood comes out of the shadows, just because having a 
having a Drazi being doing something weird is very Babylon Five. Right. But I but I agree though that Sheridan getting strength from looking at Delenn is also very Babylon Five. So that's a good yeah. one. Favorite character moment. And again, I think we're kind of circling around the same small drain here. But. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, it comes back to when Sheridan was explaining to to uh, the Drazi guy and said. Maybe you can fight the sin. Was it? I forget who he was saying that to. It's either Drazi or, or William because it's the only two people he talked to. Right. He said maybe you can fight the system, and I think it was actually. Now I think about it, I think it was William he was telling that to. That even though, even though there's so much being piled against you, and even though what you do really probably won't amount to much, you can still fight the system in your own way. Yeah. That that just showed his character to the core. Yeah, that's good. Um. I just had the overall way that Sheridan evolves over the course of the episode um, because at the beginning, he's just sort of blindly defiant, like obstinate, you right. know, which is I, who could blame him. Right. But by the end of the episode, I feel like he'd gotten more, much more specifically defiant. Yes. Does that make any sense at all? Absolutely. And I think that was very, yeah, that's very astute. At the, at the beginning, he's just kind of like got his arms crossed, like, I'm not listening to you. By the right. end, he's like, here's why I'm not right. listening and here's why I'm going to win and whatever. Right. Yeah. Okay. At the beginning, uh, yeah, at the beginning, he was just fighting just because he was obstinate and, and needed to fight. By yeah. the end, he had something to fight for and knew what he was doing. There you go. That's it. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Here's the challenge. <laughs> Funniest moment in this Laugh Fest 2023. There was actually a moment that got a chuckle out of me. And Me too. I don't know if you. I, I got one Did too. you pick up on it? Let's see. When, when William asked him, he said, "Is this your first interrogation?" Yes. And he said, "No, I've been interrogated before." And he goes, "Oh, anybody I would know?" And Sheridan looks at him and goes, "You'd be surprised." <laughs> you might be surprised. That's so good. Because that we a, all cool, we all knew. Yeah, that was a cool callback. I think to that episode, and and it was funny. <laughs> well, and I made a note that not only that, but like two minutes later, Wayne Alexander walks in the room. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, oh, exactly. how you do know yeah. him? He's right, <laughs> standing right there. Funny <laughs> you, you might should be, ask. <laughs> you might be surprised indeed. He's right behind you. Yeah. All right, That's so there funny. was a funny moment. Uh, oh, well, here we go. Who won this episode? Man, these questions are all taking on a whole different timber than they usually do. Right. You're, you're probably not going to agree with me on this one, but I think Sheridan won. Just because of that conversation we just had, when he started the episode, he was just fighting just just out of anger, and yeah. by the end of the episode, his he had his will had been solidified and his resolve had been you know strengthened, yeah. and he knew exactly what he was fighting for and he knew how to fight against it. So even though at the end, it started all over with the table and the interrogator asking the same questions and Sheridan being kind of confused, even. Even though that it came back to the beginning, you knew that Sheridan was made stronger through the process and that he would win this fight. All right. First, I got so many things to say here. First, you said Sheridan won, and my reaction immediately was... <laughs> but, I, but you make a good argument, though. I'm, I'll say that. I, I think you make a good argument. This is one that I'm... I'm really anxious to hear comments from our patrons on the page, and we'll read those next time, next, right? Yeah, next time, right. Next I'm time, really looking look for that. I really want to know what some of our very uh, analytical, brilliant um, patrons, how they read and, it, right? 
insightful. They they all yes. they have so they oh. they always dig deeper than we do, which isn't. Yeah. I mean, we don't have really big shovels. We can't dig real deep, <laughs> but our patrons cover for us. I mean, they they, they come up with some great stuff. Yeah, because the way it ended, I had to say Clark maybe, but I'm not sure. And it's again, it's yeah. a very short term win. It's a very superficial win. There's right. a lot of qualifiers. Right. But you know what I mean. Um, right. I had a note here. I'd totally forgotten to ask you this until you said that just now. Did you notice, because it, it didn't dawn on me until the very end, I kept wondering, I, I was like, you know, here we are with Babylon 5, $17 set designs again. We had the plain soundstage room, minimal lighting, and we had the metal chair, looked like a electric chair that he was strapped into. And we had the desk that William sat at. Did you notice where the desk came from at the end? Yeah, it was the stretcher he came in on. What the heck, man? That's why I'm thinking that this was not, William was not the first interrogator that he encountered. What? But what was that supposed to, why was having his stretcher turn into the desk, why was that a thing? I don't, I just... That makes him realize that this will keep on going and going and going, that this is not the first time I've been in this situation, that it's just going to repeat itself over and over again. This is a, a big circular thing that is going to keep going. And even when, it's, when I think it's over with and they, they, you know, they quote unquote execute me, it's just going to change right back in the beginning again. See, I think this it's is just an- another mind job, just like the Drazi. This is another example of how I can, I can appreciate the art of what they're doing in this episode while simultaneously thinking, what? <laughs> what, are they, what are they even trying to do here? You know, so I just, when they change the stretcher into the t- desk, I'm like, this seems really clever, and yet I have no freaking clue what that's supposed to mean or why that's. It's interesting. In, in, it's interesting in that it's interesting, but not for any other reason to me. I just, I don't know. I just didn't get it. Oh, well. That's, that's fair. All right. That was the table slash stretchers. They wasted nothing. Well, he did say waste, right. not want, not at some point. And he said right. everything else. He might as well. Who lost this episode? Well. Sheridan. Yeah. I, I have Sheridan losing this one as well. He was both, I think it was the first time we, I've ever had a person winning and losing the, the same, same episode. For, how did he lose it? Because you had me convinced that he won it. Now I'm really confused. How did he lose it? Well, because he was right back where he started from, and he doesn't right. know if he's going to be able to hold out before he – he's never going to give him what they want, but he doesn't know if he's going to end up dead or if his dad's going to end up dead or if they're going to get one of his friends in there and they're going to end up dead. He just knows that he's going to have to keep fighting. And I don't know. I just think that he, he's not in a good situation at the end of the episode at all. That's just going to keep on going and going no. and going. Um, yeah, so I, I have two sound clips that are appropriate here. I have Sheridan and the interrogator. Sheridan says, You are out of order! You're out of order! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! To which the interrogator says, I'm afraid that my condition has left me cold to your pleas of mercy. There you go. I mean, that's, <laughs> that sums it up pretty oh. Such an awful movie. It is. I have a lot of freeze quotes though on my soundboard right now for the football (laughs) show, Barney Coach. Um, All right, so we are down to the rating, and man, this may be, this may be 
the biggest disparity of all, even bigger than War Without End. <laughs> All right, so let's think back. War Without End, I either gave it 4.5 or 5. I don't remember which one. They're both I'm, pretty I'm not, rare. They are. I, I know I gave it a 3.5 and will never be able to live that down. So the the maximum different, difference. Ooh, I, gave it, I gave it a 3. Wow. And I That's kind of low. So the maximum difference between our ratings for War Without End was as much as 2. Two points. Right. I think it was probably two, because I think you gave it a five. I think you said War Without End was your favorite episode. I could be mistaken. It's not my favorite, but it's in my top five for sure. All right. I'm pretty sure you gave it a 5.0. All right. So a th- uh, so a two-point two difference. Let's see if this one has right. a bigger than two-point difference. All right. <laughs> so, Andy, on a scale of zero to five, and we use halves, Right. how do you rate intersections in real time? All right. I... I I came up with my rating a slightly different way this time because I appreciate that this episode is not exactly standard B5. So okay. from my perspective, here's, okay. here's my mindset when I was watching this back in the 90s. This blew my mind. This, this made me think that this whole Babylon 5 thing was a step higher than anything else on television at the time. Right. It moved it from being the coolest sci-fi show on TV to the coolest thing I've ever watched because – it the, the the acting was brilliant, I thought. The writing was, was precise and the 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 way they shot it was just so intricate. It was so well done on such a minuscule budget with actors who are considered B actors at most. Mm-hmm. And I thought it totally blew my mind how good this was written, acted, and and directed. Um, it wasn't a spectacular shoot 'em up. You know, there wasn't any sci-fi element to this whatsoever, except for the Drazi. Um, but that could have been just anything. There was no no space station, no other characters. There wasn't even anybody really, you know, in a uniform other than the, the two guards. I mean, this was completely different from anything Babylon 5 or any other um, sci-fi show had ever done. And it was it, it, it convinced me that this show was, was something special. Okay, Not that I didn't believe that already, but it, it totally took me to a whole different level so from that perspective and i i thought the same thing when i watched it this time from that perspective i want to give it five stars however i completely acknowledge that this is not a standard b5 episode so watching it from our perspective okay and watching it from as part of a larger story i would give it a 3.5 so I'm going, to average, I'm going to average those okay. two together Look at you. and say 4.25, but I'm going to bump that up to a 4.5 okay. because we can't do, you know, hundred. So I'm going to say 4.5 for this one. Interesting. I, you know, that was a long way to have to go to explain it, but I think you explained it very <laughs> right. well. Now, of course, the fact is... Wrong! <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, it, it, I, it keep, I clearly it, got more out of this episode than you did. <laughs> it, yes, yes, for sure. Um, you know, but honestly, this one is right up there with believers in like infuriating me while making me feel like I'm not getting everything and I'm missing something important. And yet I don't know what it is. And it just makes me even more frustrated. Um, but I think we will set the record. Wow. For, we will set the record for the biggest difference because I give this episode a two. Wow. That's yes. pretty bad. Well, remember. It's a good, 
It's a all, good thing I don't have a, a, a soundboard. <laughs> I have the power. I have the soundboard. <laughs> dead to me. <laughs> He's holding up a sign that says dead to me. To which I say. Wrong! I guess I could argue. I don't have facts to back this up. But <laughs> that's that's part of the problem right there, you see. It's it's an emotional reaction. Uh, that's what TV is meant to do. It's supposed to get an emotional reaction for you and, and for you. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it, it reminds me of the uh, – what, what was that one with the, the TV guys? Not Rumors, Bargains, and Lies. It was um, – what was that? Oh, oh. The, the, the Illusion of Truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. How, how we, we, we kind of rated that one off because it, it was such a, a downer of an episode. <sighs> No but kidding. I I saw hope in this episode where you saw where you didn't see that. I saw a character evolution in this episode where in the illusion of truth there wasn't any. I mean it it, it was just a, a complete dismantling of of the good guys. Yeah. This one was kind of like that except Sheridan did have an arc. There was a positive arc okay. for for the character even if it was case. even if it was internal. So I you're not wrong. I mean, in your reaction to it, that's just how you reacted to it, and that's completely legitimate. And well, as I to be that. as to be expected, you make a good case, and there's nobody you can't deny that. That's fine. I just I think of this episode as the episode where Sheridan sits in a chair for an hour, and at one point eats a sandwich and throws up. <laughs> that's how I see, and I'm just like, that's not an exciting way to spend an hour for me. Yeah, I right? again, no, I, I did appreciate. I appreciated Bruce Boxleitner's acting over the course of the episode more and more, and I thought that the William guy was okay. He's fine. I just oh, I didn't. I just didn't get the point of it. It just. I don't know. I just. I love. It. I love. And it's not that I don't like this kind of episode because comes the Inquisitor is very similar to this. And right. I well, love it, moved, it. It moved the plot forward. Yeah. Well, that, it moved the plot forward, and they won. They won, and they got comeuppance on the Inquisitor, and he was right. interesting and cool. Right. And, I mean, and it revealed stuff about their personalities and their characters and their future, and there was just so much cool stuff there. And in this one, he right. sits in a chair while a guy babbles at him about lying and truth and whatever, and he gives him a sandwich and says, oh, this sandwich won't hurt you. Oh, ah, ha, ha, I'm just kidding. It will poison, because I've, you know, it'll poison you. Oh, by the way, I'm never going to lie to you, even though I just did, and just, I'm like, just shut up. Oh, my God. Comes the Inquisitor was almost the quintessential Babylon 5 episode for all the reasons that you said. I mean, it gave us yeah. so much information about the characters, their arcs, the whole nine yards, and it did have that, that alien sci-fi spin to it and it had you know the good guys coming out on top at the end i mean it was it was an excellent babylon 5 episode it was fun to watch this one is definitely not that no but it is i thought a great character discussion a, a great moment in the character of john sheridan and i think and i think i i addressed this earlier i thought that the the the, the antagonist in this one was brilliantly done not because he was so alien and weird and evil but because he was so normal and pedestrian and and just bland i thought that the actor portrayed him perfectly and i thought that that it it made the impact of everything he was doing to sheridan that much greater i think he probably did portray the character as jms intended very well i just 
was not interested in that character. So there you go. <laughs> um, all right. We've got, uh, we've got spoiler space coming up where we can hit a couple more things I want to run by you and, and run by our listeners. But first, right. we have to thank the patrons. Go to www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron and be part of the family. You can leave comments and all that. Here are our current patrons who are, uh, and you can put whatever name you like in the uh, in the name, and that's who I will thank. You can put. You could even ask for soundboard sounds if you like some of the ones that I've played <laughs> over the over the years. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. I'm serious. You can ask for soundboard clips. I got a bunch <laughs> of them here. So here are the fine folks who keep our keep the station, keep the power on in the fusion reactor. You know, Veer, sometimes I think I will go and put my head in the station's fusion reactor. It would be quicker, and after a while, I might even come to enjoy it. You know, there is a Patreon level where if you pay so much money every month, Van will never perform an (laughs) impersonation again. Come on, man! (laughs) Come on! Come on, on, man! Right? I'm just waiting for somebody to, to come up with the cash for that. We'll see. <sighs> well, <laughs> meanwhile, here are the fine folks keeping the power on the fusion reactor. They, I'm going to make that, make that the permanent thing if I remember it. They include Christopher Anastasia, <clears throat> Allison Rich, Colonel Dad, a.k.a. Ari Ben Zane. I am missing my category, mister. Emma Jane Alexander, Leah G, Rich Hammett, Ben, I'm all caught up now, so I have to wait for new episodes, Rose. Debbie, no spoilers, Norris. Debbie, uh, don't join us on the other side of this spoiler space. Dragon <laughs> Con Delin, hey, Dragon Con Delin, we're coming soon. It's going to be, um, this is August 3rd that we're recording this, so we are currently barely a month away. And did I say earlier, I got my Dragon Con panel assignments uh overnight last night so i'm very excited you, you briefly mentioned that so yeah the babylon 5 panel and that's and when a, a you say we you mean that in the royal we yeah i, I mean the show where andy will not be joining us this year one of these days we're going to get you down there there is days. a slim chance i might be joining you depending on how that powerball lottery <laughs> works out this weekend. Uh, because if i had suddenly have 1.25 billion dollars i'm sure i'll be able to find my way down there if I had $1.5 billion, I would buy Dragon Con and run it myself. Right. And I would be the guest of honor every year at my own right. convention. Change it to VanCon. Uh, nobody would come, but hey, I have it. You know, it'd be my, uh, Let's see. Emmanuel Seaman, Jalja, Mond06, Michael O'Connor, Middle Age Geek Tim, Pete, the real reason Van avoids saying Dragon God don't, Furman. Hey, Pete. <laughs> Steve Palmer, Stu Parker, The Geek Boy, Una Vez, and Una Luna Azul. Heather and Yancey Steingrabber, Ice Cream Clone with a Boba Fett head, Michael Halbrook, Once Bidden, Twice Shy Halud. Oh, <laughs> well done, sir. And, Im- and Emmett Sharp. Thank you all so very much for your support and all of our one-time and anonymous uh donors we appreciate you all go to www.b5review.com we have i think a few messages Wait, hold me... on a second yes i just thought of something van something Uh-oh. we can give to our patrons oh what we should do you know before we we start our recording van and i usually chat up current geek stuff what's going on in our in our geek lives and what what current uh geek events we're excited about I think we should hit the record button a little bit earlier 
so they can listen to us do our little warm-up act with each other oh, <laughs> and get each other I laughing and, and giggling. That's why Van was so giddy when he came on right uh, when we started because we had been chit-chatting geek stuff yeah. you know, for a good five to ten, at least ten minutes beforehand and, and oh, get yeah. each other all worked up. So I think they would find that hilarious. The last couple of times it's been more like 30 minutes because I come up right. with too many things to bug you about. <laughs> but, oh, well. Yeah, maybe so. All right, let's see. So that was four weeks ago. Ha! Okay, here we go. So this is a longer one from Debbie No Spoilers Norris, but they're always good. Hi, guys. Yeah. I'm not on Twitter, so I couldn't respond to your poll about the best B5 villain. Despite my name... Oh, I guess I mentioned I was going to do the vill- do the poll, or maybe already announced it. I've announced it twice now. Despite my name, there may be a few spoilers, so take care reading. Here my ra- All right, I'll be careful. Here are my rankings. Four, Morden. He would be ranked much higher if he was working on his own, but he was always controlled by the shadows. The real Morden we meet later. Okay. Um, that's kind of a spoiler. Is nothing like the shadow-controlled Morden, so while the shadows were a great foe as a race, I can't think of Morden himself as evil. That's an interesting perspective. I, I don't have a problem with that. Yep. All right, number three, Lando. As evil as seasons two and three Lando got, he always had the well-being of the Centauri at heart. That's true. While this does not excuse what he did, it does explain it. He did not want the power for himself, but for his people. This was the small window that allowed his redemption to take place. I like that part a lot. Yes. That he deserved redemption because it was never really about him. Right. That's a good point. Okay. I've always described evil, by the way, as really you're out for yourself and that matters more right. than anybody else. So yep. if you're out for your own people, but not just for yourself, is that still evil or is it just sort of like one reduction down? That's an interesting philosophical question for when we have more time. Yes. Number two, Edgar's much like Lando Edgar's had the well-being of earth, specifically the non telepaths at heart. In fact, if Bester had succeeded in raising up the teeps to rule over the mundanes, there could be a case made that Edgar's was a hero, but genocide is never the answer, so Edgar is number two. Wow. Number that's one. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. That leaves number one, Clark, the character with the least screen time we know the least about, but everyone loves to hate. His only motivation was his own rise to power. Unlike Lando, he didn't want what was best for Earth, just what was best for himself. It's ringing a bell somehow. Uh, I don't think he was controlled by the shadows or the drock, so that makes him just plain evil. I agree, yes. She's definitely got a point there. Now, towards the end of the episode, you added Cartage to the list. I don't know if he was included in your Twitter poll. He was not. If so, slide him in number two slot. Like Clark, he was just in it for himself, but he also appeared to be completely insane, so I'm not putting him at number one. Also, his insanity could be because of his possible keeper. I don't know. Do you think that Cartagia had a keeper? I don't. I don't think he did. I think he was just nuts on his own. Yeah, he was. Uh, I don't think it was ever determined if he had one, but they were sure quick to give one to the magistrate after Cartagia died. So I think he probably did. If so, that puts him more in the Morden range. Thanks for reading this long post. I love geeking out over your show. Well, we love you too, and we appreciate it. That is a good question. I here's my position on it. I don't think Cartagia had a keeper, but I don't know why they wouldn't give him one other than I'm gonna call it the the Ceausescu effect. Being a political scientist, all right. You ready right. for this? Yes. The Soviet Union basically allowed Romania to not be in the Warsaw Pact. 
And my theory was always that the Russians looked at looked at Ceausescu and said, that blank blanker is so crazy, we don't need to put the Red Army in Romania. He's doing fine by himself, right? I think the Shadows and the Drac took out a keeper, looked at Cartage, and they're like, ah, let's save it for somebody that really needs it. Right. Let's don't, let's waste a key- don't, waste a, yeah. don't waste a perfectly good keeper on this guy. He's nuts. He's, yeah. he's fine. We're, he's fine. You know. right. they don't need, he doesn't need one. So, all right, that's good. Uh, let's see. Allison, good old Allison Rich, our buddy Allison. She's so awesome. Says, I, I, oh, going, I'm sorry. Going back to that last one, I'm surprised yeah. that Vester wasn't even on that list. I was, too. I, maybe she just forgot him. We'll ask. We'll How see. You, Debbie, did you yeah, forget well, yeah. Vester or what's up with that? We're just curious. Because he wanted a going away landslide Yeah. on Twitter. Allison, good old Allison Rich says, not much to say about this episode, but the cinematography, direction, lighting of the scene between Garibaldi and Bester is masterful. Oh, in the in the train car, maybe? The little Yes. That was yes. good. Yeah. Reading the Psychor trilogy gives so much insight into Bester's character, much more so than the TV show. You know, it's been so long. It's funny too, because I'm friends with with the author. Gregory Keys. Greg Keys. But um, I was trying to see the books to see the what the name of them was. It's final uh, Deadly Relations. Dark Genesis and Final Reckoning. I may have them in the wrong order there on the shelf. But anyway, yeah, Greg Keyes. Um, but it's been so long since I... That was the last thing... That's the first and last thing he's actually read, and it's been so long, because they came out right after the show. Right. Like 99, maybe, somewhere in there, 2000. Yeah. So I can't remember hardly anything from those three books. So I'm looking forward to reading them again when we review them later on. I am too. I, I think I've mentioned before that Greg Keyes is one of my favorite authors. Yeah, he's a cool dude. Mississippi State and Georgia grad, if I remember correctly. Something like that. I know he's yeah. a Southern boy. Yeah, I think he came from Mississippi, went to Mississippi State, then went to graduate school at Georgia. I think his wife went to the um, art school, the Savannah Savannah College of Art and Design, SCAD. I think that's right. Been a while since I talked to him about it. All right. Um, oh, Colonel Dad posts a YouTube video link, and I hadn't seen it until now. So I will check that out. It's about the it's a YouTube video, interesting video on the CGI of Babylon Five. So oh, I don't. Cool. I'll it's it's on, for patrons can see it in the comments, um, and then if you want to just go on YouTube and search the CGI of Babylon Five, it'll probably come up. Otherwise, I'll post it somewhere. I'll 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 make it available. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Rich Hammett asked, did they take Battle and Five off the Roku channel? I can't watch my DVDs anymore after watching the updated episodes. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I haven't, I don't notice differences in video quality that much, honestly. I'm sure. It's I, fine. You know, I, I'm not, I, because I own it on digitally, I, I, I don't know where it is or what it looks like on, on streaming. I know it was, I watched a few episodes on HBO, but the, the lip sync issue turned me off of that so i just went back to watch my my apple so i don't know i don't know what the streaming status is or what the quality of of any of those airings are and then finally pete Furman, pete the real reason van voice saying dragon con Furman says um (laughs) a complete spoiler um oh oh it's a spoiler for this episode so it's okay so his question is was the drazi in the interrogation working for Clark or was he a hallucination of Sheridan's in his tortured state? I think we've determined that he was real. Yeah, I think that's what JMS said and that, that's what I thought as well. Yeah, I think so. I think so. All right. Well, that gets us to the end of that and we appreciate it. Um, any final thoughts, Andy, about this one before we... Oh, we got to jump into the spoiler space. Spoiler space, Co- yeah. Things. All right, so uh, we appreciate that, everybody. Again, www.b5review.com. 
We've got on our next, we're going to do spoiler space in just a second, just a short one. They're never very long. On our next episode, we will cover 419 Between the Darkness and the Light. And when I see that episode title, I always think that's the end of the Mimbari Civil War because that's the Mimbari series. <laughs> That's yep. why I was so surprised when the Mimbari Civil War ended previously, because yep. I kept seeing the title list and going, well, that's got to be where it ends, right? Oh, no, it's That well makes done. sense. So, all right, we're going to go into spoiler space now. So if you haven't seen uh, Beyond this episode, bail out now. Here we go. gate activated. All right, and now we are beyond the, beyond the rim and in spoiler space. Just a couple of things. There's a um, you mentioned one, which was I moved it here, but I don't guess it's really that much of a spoiler about that they moved eight minutes of it to the to the next episode. That's fine. That did, gotcha. didn't give didn't give it didn't give anything away. I think yeah, you said something about Garibaldi. I, I think that JMS actually said more specifically about it, which is why I moved it here. But I eh, whatever, we'll see it soon. Um, gotcha. I really wanted to see the interrogator get his comeuppance in a later episode, and we don't ever see him again, as far as I remember. We don't. But I will stipulate, as they say in a court, I will stipulate that it makes sense that we never see him again and we never see him get his comeuppance because he's just some dude. Right, exactly. That, that was the whole point of, of his character. And I made a little note here. Maybe President Luchenko will have him doing the exact same thing to Clark supporters during season five. Right. And and he could very well do that because I don't think that he was particularly loyal to anybody. Yeah. Except for the job. Well, you know the other character like that on this show? The and we, uh, and we the do spy see him. Guy for, huh? Wasn't Mr. It the Wells. Guy for, Mr. Oh, Wells. yeah, Mr. Wells. I was thinking you the spy Mr. Guy for the. Uh, for um, who the the men, or not the Minbari, but the Centauri, the chief spy for the Centauri. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I vaguely remember him. But yeah, Mr. Wells shows up in the middle of the Night Watch thing. Remember to instruct everybody on how to be a good fascist. Yes. And then he yeah. shows up on Crusade, and yeah. he's just like, ah, different boss, same job. You know, here we are. It's all good. And I was like, dude, I first I can't get past the fact that it's Neroon. <laughs> but once I do get past that, I'm just like I'm still like, eh, he's 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 um he's what's his name that worked for uh, the Bourbons and also worked for Napoleon the Richelieu yeah. right Cardinal Richelieu yeah. That's the that's the exact same thing you said about the Centauri intelligence. Is it? Well, there you yeah. go. I guess I remember. I didn't remember he changed sides. Okay, interesting. Uh, and then lastly, we were talking about how short of amount of time. Uh, passes that Sheridan is a prisoner. Um, months go by in the real world as we waited, but we still don't know um, how much time happened for Sheridan there in real uh, yeah. in, in the in the story. And I, I was I, I watched the next episode because I do that sometimes. I watched the next episode <laughs> and uh, Sheridan was in that episode with the full beer that he had in, in this episode. So I thought that uh -huh. was interesting because they were filming it almost concurrently. So Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that's the end for here. You got any final thoughts, any final comments before we wrap up? I do not. My uh, my resignation will be on your desk in the morning, sir. <laughs> no, 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 no. This was an interesting one, though, because I was just curious to see. I knew that you liked this one a lot, and I was just trying yeah. to figure out if there was a way for me to like it that much, and it just was not going to happen. So, and, and that's totally fair. That's what makes it so but, much fun is that we, we do have 
entirely different perspectives. A lot of times we intersect in real time, but you know, yes. sometimes we, uh, we we come at it from entirely different angles. Sometimes you're the darkness, I'm the light. Hey, oh, hey. <laughs> all right. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here before we do any more damage. Uh, it was is, it was a fun discussion for sure. It was, it was. This has been the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. We will see you guys down the road. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.